Welcome to FoxCast Physical Therapy, a podcast for clinicians made by clinicians. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Find out more at foxrehab.org. Bringing uh, back to the show, uh, Dr. Greg Hartley. Greg, welcome back to the program, man. Thanks, Jamie. I'm excited to be here. Greg is an assistant professor of clinical physical therapy at the University of Miami School of Medicine, Department of uh, Physical Therapy, board-certified geriatric clinical specialist, uh, certified exercise expert for the aging adult, and is currently the president of the Academy of Geriatric Physical Therapy. Man, how do you fit it all in with all that stuff? (laughs) I don't know. I wonder some days. (laughs) And uh, you're going to be speaking a lot. You're going to, well, it's kind of like conference season, although I'm not sure conference season ever actually goes away. There's always something. Uh, ELC, which is the Education and Leadership Conference, coming up in Washington. That's October 18th and the 20th. This is going to be my first ELC. I've been to most of the of the APTA's bigger conferences and a lot of the smaller conferences, and this is one I haven't gone to. How do you how do you explain what ELC is for people who haven't gone? A ELC is probably my favorite conference. CSM is, is great because you get to see literally everybody because uh, everybody's there, but it, it's a huge conference. Uh, it's hard to navigate sometimes because it's grown so big. ELC is much smaller, and obviously it's uh, focused on educators, both the academic educators and the clinical educators. And as residency and fellowship education has sort of taken hold, that's become kind of a a conference where residency and fellowship educators are also sort of gathering. So it's become, I think, an interesting, really great place to conference. and, And it's become really my favorite one. October in uh, Washington State is not going to be a bad place to be either. That's a nice No, no, not at all. Well, you're busy there. Three talks and a poster. You know, I always kind of scope out the uh, the conference programming, see who I know, see what looks interesting. I clicked on your name, and man, a whole big page came up. So I wanted to give people a little bit of a preview, if they happen to be going out there, of what they're going to be able to hear from you. Which one do you want to pick and start with? Well, the one about... Educating, uh, at the difference between educating as a clinical instructor and as a mentor in a residency program. Um, this is one, we did a similar presentation at CSM in 2019, just this year earlier. This one's a little bit different, geared uh, highly towards the clinical education community. So this one I'll be doing with two other colleagues, and the focus is really on highlighting the difference between clinical instruction for a student physical therapist versus mentoring a resident. We really won't talk too much about mentoring fellows. Uh, we're really focusing on the difference between a resident and a, an intern or student physical therapist, highlighting the skills and, and the teaching techniques and the differences in communication style and teaching style of the clinical educator related to the learner being around uh, education and students for, for so long, Greg, what, what are the big things that you notice in terms of difference, how you have to change communication styles between a student and a resident? Well, I think one of the biggest things for me, it's pretty obvious, is that in, in the development of clinical skill and knowledge and on a trajectory towards proficiency or, or expertise, the, the focus of the clinical instructor for the student tends to be on safety, uh, tends to be on core competence relative to the necessary skills for licensure, for safe practice, for independent practice. And that is obviously and rightly so the focus. 
The focus in residency education should be uh, that you're starting with somebody who is already competent and you're moving them towards being proficient or potentially being becoming an expert. Although I've, I've said for a long time that a, a residency is not necessarily designed to create an expert. A residency is designed to create a specialist. In that, one becomes proficient within a specialty area, and I hope begins sort of a jump start towards expertise, but it doesn't guarantee that you become an expert um, just by completing a residency. With that, though, I think the focus in residency education tends to be on building that proficiency. So it's about uh, efficiency, it's about proficiency, uh, and it's about building and developing clinical reasoning beyond a level of competence and safety. So you go for that, that cool spectrum, right? I mean, I remember sitting exactly. there with the, the, the CPI, my clinical instructor, and, you know, I got sweaty armpits and sweaty palms yeah. just hearing all the things that I need to improve upon. But, yeah, the focus really is uh, on safety and becoming a safe clinician to pass that MPTE and then really getting into the, the specifics. This is where you can get into the weeds, as mm-hmm. they say, in, in residency and whatever you've, uh, path you've decided to go down. Right. And really teaching teaching the practitioner to become a reflective practitioner, somebody who then is able to self-reflect and develop their own clinical reasoning styles that I think will you know, propel them along that continuum of, of uh, development. What's one thing that you'd look for or have to see in a student to say this, this person would make a good resident? Oh, that's a really good question. I didn't think you were going to, I thought you were going to ask me something else. <laughs> well, tell me what that is, because I don't know what that is. I'll ask that next. <laughs> um, it was kind of leading me to, to another presentation about um, the entrustable professional activities, which I can talk about uh, later in a moment. But I think to answer your question, I don't know that there's any one thing that's interesting. It's something that we're beginning to research on what attracts students to residency programs and what kind of qualities do the program participants have when they enter a program. So I'm working on some research related to that now. We're also looking at the program characters, I'm sorry, the participant characteristics when a a resident graduates from a program. And so what do they look like when they start and what do they look like when they finish in terms of their clinical reasoning and their skill and their performance and their efficiency and all of those things. So I don't know that there's one thing I could point to. I think right now, most of the students who, if they're a new grad and they're interested in a residency program, they tend to be interested because they're high achievers. They want to learn from experienced and knowledgeable mentors that tends to be on the research that we're looking at the characteristics of these participants when they enter residency. When you ask them why they do it, without a doubt, the number one reason is so that they can build their clinical reasoning skills and so they can learn from experienced clinicians. Mm -hmm. That's the number one reason they cite. But their drive for doing it is is really for their own personal growth. And so I find that the characteristics of students who apply for residency programs might vary widely, but they're all usually in it for the same reason. Probably varies widely because their experiences before the residency vary yeah. so widely. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Right. All right. So what what good what smart question did you think I was going to ask? Because I probably I was. thought you were going. I thought you were going to ask me about. What were the characteristics you look for in in a student, you know, to make them safe or competent when they are done with uh, an internship? And I think that leads to sort of another topic that we'll be talking about at the ELC conference, a different session that I'll be 
again, another participant in a panel of presenters. And this has to do with uh, competency-based education. Competency-based education is not new. It's something that actually was a, a, a theme of, of last year's ELC conference. And there's been a lot of discussion about entrustable professional activities in physical therapy and the EPAs, as they're called, exist in other professions. They have these uh, EPAs in pharmacy. They have them in medicine. They have them in a variety of other healthcare professions. We don't yet have them defined in physical therapy. What they are are activities or behaviors that you would entrust uh, a professional to be able to do with complete independence. In other words, no supervision whatsoever. So it's an activity that you could say, this person, this student, or this new graduate, or this resident, is able to perform this activity with me nowhere near the room. I could be at home. I don't have to worry about it. I'm 100% confident they can do this safely. That is an entrustable activity. If you're less confident that you could walk away, that you needed to maybe be in the room, even if it wasn't to directly supervise, but just there to answer a question, then that wouldn't yet be completely entrustable. So there's various levels of, of um, confidence, I suppose, in this these activities. So those entrustable professional activities are, are sort of, I think, we have to define what those are for our entry-level programs. We have to define what those are for our residency programs as well, because there are EPAs that are expected, I think, of people when they begin a residency program. Once you have these EPAs sort of defined, or at least in your head, you then can begin to develop domains of competence or competencies that then direct how you assess learner performance throughout whatever level of education they're participating in. So let's take residency education as an example. For a while, had requirements and accreditation that residency programs have to assess learning and they have to assess outcome of the participant, the resident. The problem is that in post-professional education, there isn't a standardized tool. In entry-level education, we have a CPI. Not everybody uses it. It's not a requirement but it is at least one validated way to assess learner performance. Uh, It has pros, it has cons, there's a lot of good things, there's a lot of bad things that, uh, that people don't like about it, and maybe it needs to be revised, but at least it is a framework of a place to start. We don't have that in residency education, and programs are still expected to assess learner performance without any sort of a framework or a rubric on how you do that. So competency-based education has really taken hold in medicine and has taken hold in other professions as well, and has been something that we've discussed in physical therapy now for a number so of years. probably going to be one of those topics that, uh, as you mentioned, in trustable professional activities that will be discussed a couple times at, at ELC this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it will. Another presentation that I'll be doing is on uh, the competency-based education and physical therapy residency programs. So I've been involved with a number of people. So this will be another panel of folks that will be presenting this. uh, And so we finally reached a point where we have developed competencies for residency education. These are core competencies that will be common across all different specialty areas. So these competencies would apply whether you're doing an orthopedic residency or a geriatric residency or a sports residency or whatever it might be. The competencies have gone through 
psychometric testing and have also been now through statistical factor analysis so that they're, they're all validated. And we're just on the cusp of finalizing that and being able to present that then at ELC so that residency programs will have a valid tool that they'll then be able to monitor, measure, and assess learner performance through, throughout the continuum of residency. So, so that's another session that I'll be doing over at ELC is really introducing this competency tool for uh, post-professional education, really residency education at this point. Before we move on, the entrustable professional activities, is this sort of like a checklist? Is this like a list of things, almost like a scavenger hunt? I mean, we've seen Grey's Anatomy. We see them running around wanting to be able to hit certain things and check it off and get signed off on. Is is that what that is? It's not really a checklist, um, but it is a a list of behaviors. So, yeah, I guess if you want to call it a checklist, you could, but I I wouldn't expect people to be running around trying to check off a a list of things. I think that it's it's behaviors that you observe over time right. uh, un- until you are confident uh, and you have that trust, which is mm-hmm. where you know where the title comes from. If you put a list in front of a bunch of type A PT students, trust me, they will run around oh, yes. and they will try yeah. to knock that yes, out. I know. <laughs> um, let's move on. One of the next things you'll be presenting as well, uh, the title grabbed me, Getting on Board with Residency Education Has the Ship Set Sail. We're right. talking about residency and improving it and, and make, you know validizing, uh, validating tools. And we're asking, hey, is the ship set sail? T- tell us about this a little bit. Yeah, so this one is going to be really, I hope, engaging. We got a, a big powerhouse of, of participants on, on this panel. Our idea is residency education. There have been a number of leaders in our profession that have been promoting residency education for some time. I'm certainly a fan of that. Uh, you've heard me talk about it. Uh, and we've talked about it before. I'm not alone, though. Many other people have talked about the value of residency education and where our profession is relative to our peer equivalents. Then you have reports come out about the best practices in education, the best practices in clinical education. Both of those reports really sort of focused on where our profession is headed educationally and where we need to be uh, regarding the growth and, and the future of physical therapy and its place in, in American healthcare. So we've had these sort of deep conversations about the place uh, that residency education sits. Some people are 100% on board with it. Other people are not on board with residency education and believe that it's adding to problems that we already have heard lots about, including limited access to clinical sites, curricular and administrative challenges, curricular challenges similar to what I was just discussing about not having a standard assessment tool, administrative challenges related to accreditation issues because there are growing pains um, with residency education and accreditation, financial considerations, debt load, what residency education is doing to that relative to the profession. So there are a lot of conversations that I think have to be had about residency education. And and I think that we need to have a conversation about what's the future in terms of where the profession needs to head, not, not for the betterment of the individual, not for the betterment of our own wallets, not because it's about more money, but because it's about what's right for society. It's about what's right for the profession 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. It's about where we want to be, 
where we see ourselves as doctors of physical therapy and this term peer equivalent, is that what we want to be? Do we want to be the primary health providers for neuromusculoskeletal disorders? If that's what we say we are, and some people already say that's what we are, shouldn't we be training and preparing ourselves to do that? This conversation is going to be really interesting, and it's going to be a little bit of presentation and a whole lot of conversation. Yeah. Uh, so that, I'm excited about that one. Looking forward to that one. In case you're uh, listening and you're heading to ELC, getting on board with residency education has the, the ship set sail. What did we miss? I think we talked about three of the things you're doing. What did we miss? Poster? Yeah, I think the only, only one was the poster. The poster was something that I did with two other colleagues here from University of Miami. We put together a, a residency faculty retreat and a, a residency uh, advanced sort of training program where we spent a lot of time talking about competencies, talking about resident assessment, uh, really talking about trying to rev up our uh, mentor training and the skill set that our mentors have in our post-professional program. So we had all of our mentors together from all of our different residency programs, and we have six programs now, either accredited or in candidacy status. Uh, And so there were, I don't know, about 40, 35 or 40 different residents, uh, sorry, mentors in the room. And we brought in Dr. Gail Jensen to, to help facilitate that meeting. And, and it was just a great event. We are presenting in a poster some of the outcomes of how that went. And, and hopefully we'll spin off some ideas about the future of training uh, residency faculty. And we really focused on the facilitation of, of good discussion and how to get something out of a room with that many people. Who have yeah. insight? Yeah. Uh, Which is not easy. No, no, not at all. So I'm hopeful that, you know, we'll, we'll be able to spin off some sort of training program or boot camp or something that, that we could, and I can envision some sort of a advanced mentor training that would be modeled on something like we did. So. When I saw the title uh, uh, on this particular poster, it made me think of, they were talking about Greg Popovich, the longtime coach of these, uh, the Spurs in San Antonio, and how he used to get buy-in from all of his players. And he, uh, he used to just force them to have dinner together every single night. And he yeah. made, I mean, if you want to build affinity, uh, spend time, but then also how to facilitate some great discussion around that and how to do that when you're ne- maybe you're necessarily crunch for time. He's got right. his 15 or 12 or 15 guys that he can tell when to be where and when. Uh, how can you speed that up effectively? Right. So that'd be a great uh, poster session out there at ELC. Again, October 18th to the 20th, if you're headed out there. Now we go from talking about what you're doing at ELC in Washington in October to a few weeks later at National Student Conclave in Albuquerque, New Mexico, going to a different corner of the country. You're going to be doing a talk on November 1st with uh, Kendra Harrington, bringing residency uh, discussions to students now. Yeah, over at Student Conclave, obviously the audience is pretty different. So we've got the students, and you're right, it's going from one end to the other here talking about people who may be interested in doing a residency program. So this particular talk at NSC, the Student Conclave, is titled Choosing a Residency Program, When, How, Where, Why, What. The focus is on how to help students make informed decisions. At the end of the day right now, The student is the consumer of residency education, and they make choices about when to apply, where to apply, how to apply. All of those things are decisions that they make. Most of them are making those decisions in their second or third year of PT school. Some people wait uh, a little bit longer to enter residency programs, but by and large, people are doing residencies right out of school, uh, and so they're choosing 
which programs to apply to, which specialty they're interested in. All of those are pretty big decisions that can be career-changing. We haven't had a whole lot of evidence on this topic, really, ever in physical therapy until recently. And just this year, two studies have been published. So we have a little bit of evidence that can help students now begin to guide their decision-making process. So one study was published in J.O. PTE, the Journal of Physical Therapy Education, by Matt Briggs and, and uh, Julie Whitman and, and a bunch of other folks. Uh, and this study was looking at the employer perceptions of PT residency training and whether or not employers actually value physical therapy residency education training. Turns out they do, um, that they, they do see a difference between residency trained and fellowship-trained employees compared to uh, other employees that are matched in terms of years of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's value being seen and noticed by employers. Importantly, to most students anyway, that value translates into income. Residents are now beginning to get some value or some return on that investment in terms of income. Now, it's not a huge difference just yet in physical therapy, and that's for a whole host of reasons. But at least that that, uh, training is being recognized. Well, at least you're having the discussion in front of that audience that's going to be making those decisions. Absolutely. Soon, because that's typically typically like the gripe, right? If I do this and I get nothing in return, but you're showing that there is at least some return now, and hopefully that'll grow. Well, like I said, you know, related to the other studies, most of the students who apply to a residency program are doing it because they will learn. Sure. Uh, and so they're motivated by that learning and by that that growth towards expertise and they're less motivated by making more money, but certainly if they can make more money that's that's great. That's worth it. And we're beginning to see some evidence of that. Uh, but even in, in in instances where there's not a tremendous amount of money as a return, there are still a lots of other values. Uh, often doors open that would not have opened without residency education or without board certification. And so those lead to higher levels of responsibility, leadership position, management positions, those kinds of things would often translate into higher levels of income as well. Good to have that discussion, especially at National Student Conclave. The other study was one that I co-authored with with, um, Kendra Harrington and, and Kathy Roach and Stephanie McNally. And this study was related to the program factors that predict outcome of residency programs. So this particular study, we we actually got access to all of APTA's data. So we looked at every single accredited residency program uh, and every single graduate of all those programs over a period of four years. Uh, So we had about 1,600 residents and 183 different programs that we looked at. And we compared all the different characteristics of those programs, such as size, how big were they, how many faculty they had. We looked at where they were located a little bit. We looked at if whether or not they charged tuition, how much they paid residents, if they paid them at all, whether their programs were single-site, multi-site, or multi-facility kinds of sites. So a, var- a variety of different characteristics that were all program-based. So it had nothing to do with the characteristics of the participant. It had everything to do with the characteristics of the program itself. And then we looked at what characteristics among those programs are shared between those programs made a difference in the outcome of the residents. In outcomes, we, we really only have a couple of things where we can compare people. And that is, number one, do you graduate? 
Mm-hmm. If you start a program, do you even graduate? Right. Number two, if you graduate, do you sit for the board exam or do you choose not to sit for the board exam? And then number three, if you choose to sit for it, do you pass? So those were the, the three outcomes that we looked at. So it turns out that program characteristics matter a lot. And there was a particular combination of characteristics that if a program had those, that, that particular set of characteristics, residency participants were 9.8 times more likely to graduate. Times. Become board certified. Not percent, times. Times. So almost 10 times more likely to graduate and pass board exams. Uh, if if they went to a program with a very specific set of characteristics. So we'll be talking about that at the Student Conclave, uh, really sort of sharing the evidence that we have now about which kind of programs matter in terms of the program design. Uh, does it make a difference in terms of your chances of graduating, in terms mm-hmm. of your chances of becoming board certified, those kinds of questions. And before it was all speculation, now we have a little bit of evidence. So will just be hopefully informing the consumer uh, so that they'll be able to make decisions about what kinds of programs uh, might work best for them. How to be an evidence-based, educated consumer. I mean, you started That's this by exactly saying right. that the, the students are the, uh, the customer in residency education. If that isn't a, a masterful use of a radio tease, Greg, I'm not sure what is, saying that we have, we have the uh, research we to show... 10 times increased uh, yeah. efficacy, yeah. If you're a student and you're going out there, APTA's NSC, October 31st, always around Halloween, so the costumes do get interesting with uh, with PT students as well. That's right. Make sure you drop by, listen to uh, Kendra and uh, and Greg. I think I would, I would just encourage folks, for me, to learn about residency education, to think long and hard about where our, our education sits um, in terms of the future of our profession and where what our roles are. Not today, not 10 years from now, but 20 years from now and 50 years from now. Where do we see ourselves as a profession and what are the steps that we have to do to get there? Uh, That, to me, is the serious conversation that we have to have in the profession and one that I hope we can resolve while I'm still in the profession. Yeah. Talking about getting reflective so we can look ahead, you know, 20, 50, 100 years. It's a good time to do that as well with the APTA coming up on its uh, centennial, celebrating 100 That's years right. uh, as right. a profession. So, yeah, a lot of, I think, is gonna, uh, reflection is going gonna, is gonna to formulate around what have we done and what can we do in the next 100 years. And residency right now, anyway, is a big, big part of that discussion. So can't wait to hear it get uh, – we won't call it heated. We'll call it, uh, we'll call it lively, a lively discussion at, at uh, ELC talking about residency education. Catch them at ELC all over the place if you can and at National Student Conclave coming up this October, both those locations. Greg, appreciate you t- taking some time out to give us a preview of those uh, conferences. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to FoxCast PT. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Fox clinicians work hard, love their work, and get the respect they deserve. Sound good? Then you'll love the autonomy to work in your own style and the support you get to achieve excellence. Plus, freedom and flexibility to have a personal life. Whether it's your first day or you've been around for a while, your contribution is acknowledged and rewarded. That's what makes Fox a success. Happy, well-trained clinicians make great healthcare. Are you a fit for Fox? Find out now at foxrehab.org.